This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 37 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHP in Kansas City. I'm here every week. We talk about the mental side of sports on this show, although as of late, there haven't been any sports. Haven't any sports to talk about because we are in a struggling time, a unique time right now in that this pandemic has shut down life. It has changed life and it will change life in the future. Hope everyone is safe. Everyone is obeying the social distancing suggestions that have been promoted and taking care of yourself and your families. It is a scary time. It's a hard time. It's a difficult time. You know, I've been on the radio for 29 years here in Kansas City, the last 18 here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. I've been in private practice for 39 years as a sports psychologist. And this time is something I never envisioned. I never thought about, but it's here. And it came on gangbusters. When will we have sports again? When will we be able to go out onto the fields and play? When can you take your kids out to the soccer field and play, to the softball field and play, to the baseball field, to the swimming pool? You know, I go swim half mile after this show every week. I've been able to do that now for over a month. The pools are closed. Everything's shut down. So how are you doing? How are you growing? How are you dealing with all this right now? Because to me, this situation is one now that it's been going on for, you know, well into its second month. There are two ways to look at this. You can feel sorry for yourself, get down in the dumps, be depressed, be angry, be frustrated, and you have every right to do so. Or you can ask yourself, how can I grow? How can this make me better? When this thing ends, and it's going to end, and when it ends, we will come back, and we can be better people. If we all grow from this situation, this scenario will make us better. And that's the approach I'm trying to take with this. And I think it's a healthy one, and I think it's the one that I'd like to encourage people to look at. Life without sports is something we've never experienced unless you've had an injury and you couldn't participate, but yet you could turn on the television or the Internet and watch things. We can, of course, watch replays now on YouTube of all kinds of events, but everything stopped. So how are you coping? How are you dealing with that? Well, I'm privileged this morning to have online from us, with us from Oxford, England, Gary Bloom, he is a sports clinical psychotherapist. And he also hosts a radio show in England. So I thought it'd be great to have him on with us today to talk about this. So, Gary, thank you for joining us today. Appreciate you very much calling in. Lovely to be on your show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, you're welcome. So tell me how, tell me how things are over in Oxford. How is it going over there? Um, it's uh, interesting. As you say, we live in interesting times. That's 
sometimes a Chinese blessing that may you live in interesting times. They don't get much more interesting than these. Um, we're, in, we're in lockdown here in the UK. Uh, I imagine very similar to you are in the US. And uh, we have, um, we're allowed to go out uh, and exercise once a day. We're allowed to go out to the shops to buy essential items, groceries, and uh, medicines. But other than that, we're being told to stay indoors. And obviously that makes a, a really interesting psychological challenge to just about everybody. Yes, well, today it is Easter. And, of course, it is there as well. And here the churches are all doing, the churches that are celebrating Easter are doing online services. They've been told here in the state of Kansas, in fact, it got to last night where the Kansas Supreme Court ruled that the churches couldn't have services in the, in the facilities because of the danger of spreading this. So it is a different time, and we have to do the social isolation. So, so let me ask you first before we get into this, how are you doing with this? Um, well, good days, bad days, I guess. Uh, I'm either fortunate or unfortunate, depending on which way you look at it, that I live on my own. Um, and I never thought I'd live through that social isolation, which uh, I think because um, human beings are essentially social animals and actually thrive in social situations, and there's lots of psychological experiments that I'm sure you and I have studied in the past about how we don't do well when we're isolated. Uh, we are naturally uh, programmed through our initial caregiver, through our mums when we're very, very little, to make connections with people. And if those are ripped away and ripped away very suddenly, as has happened during this coronavirus uh, pandemic, that inevitably is going to have psychological changes to us all. I was doing a little bit of online reading this morning and people were talking about the, the quality of their sleep has been significantly altered during this period. And I'm noticing that myself that I'm beginning to have some quite disturbing uh, dreams at night because I think my unconscious, that's the stuff I'm not aware of what's going on in my mind when uh, I'm not aware what's going on. I'm, I'm sure many of your listeners will know the difference between the conscious, what we can see, what we can hear, what we're aware of, and then the unconscious, all the other stuff that we're not aware of. I think it's trying to process all these fears that we all have about how we live through these extraordinary times and how we're going to come out the other side. And then all the people that we worry about, our loved ones, our, our parents, our grandparents, our kids. Um, I've, got a, I've got a daughter-in-law who's pregnant at the moment. All that stuff is going on in our unconscious, and we're trying to make sense of it. And the other thing about the human brain is we always want to put things in order. We're always trying to make sense of the world from when we're very, very little and we're a toddler. We're always programmed to make sense of the world. When we have a problem, for example, if we bump our cars or we have a leak in the house, we know how to deal with that. We've got a way, a template of dealing with that, and therefore we can make sense of that problem. The problem we've got now is nobody has ever lived through this ever, and therefore we don't know how to make sense of something we've never experienced, and therefore our behaviors match that, if you like. And that's why, I don't know if you have the same where you are in Kansas, but here in Oxford we have panic buying and the supermarket shelves are empty because people want a sense of security, that they're doing something to make themselves feel safe or having something or holding on to something to make sense of the world. And that is, I think, the interesting behavior that we're seeing during these extraordinary times. I agree 100% with you. And, yeah, there are, uh, toilet paper is sold out everywhere here. It's sort of a, a unique item that's gone um most of the food at least the grocery stores that i go to are there but the toilet paper is gone you know you're right there's this this sense of panic but i think for a lot of people 
now this has been going on for you know well into the second month that panic has sort of settled down a little bit and it's like okay how am i going to deal with this i think a lot of people are starting to get into that and you mentioned the, the whole issue of sleep you're right i have a lot of clients i still now i'm doing facetime and telehealth sessions on the phone um, which i'm assuming maybe you'd be, we'll be doing as well and because we can't do face-to-face things right now and so you know as i say we're, we're under the guise of social distancing, but that doesn't mean social isolation, right? And so with the internet and, social, and, and, and the ability to you know, use our phone and, and do all that, that's, that's what's great about that right now. Yeah, and you're absolutely right, Andrew. I'm, I'm busy working with my clients and sports clients on FaceTime and Zoom and Skype, and I'm learning new pieces of uh, technology all the time. So the connectivity is really, really important, but there's something quite magical about that bond that you have with members of your family that you just can't get on FaceTime or Skype. You know, our, our, our brains were, were not designed in the last 20, 30 years. We are, you know, our brains are hundreds of thousands of years old and have evolved um, over many, many, many millennium to deal with social isolation, to deal with social grouping. We used to live in tribes. We, we're, we're used to living amongst people. We were never designed for the technology that we have today, and we were never designed for the isolation that many people feel today. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priorities to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section, when dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them, just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. 
Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section, when dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Happy Easter. Happy Passover to everybody. I know it's a difficult and trying time to celebrate right now because of social isolation or social distancing, which for many people, they feel it's social isolation. But we don't have to isolate ourselves because of communication skills and the ability to, to communicate and share and talk. And joining me today from Oxford, England is clinical sports psychotherapist Gary Bloom. And Gary, I want to, once again, thank you for taking the time out of your day to be with us. And, you know, how are your clients, you, you've been a clinical sports psychotherapist for what, over 20, 25 years, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And you you host a radio show over there as well. Yeah, I, I am. We have a, a UK national station called Talk Sport, uh, not too dissimilar from the same sort of networks we have over in the U.S. Uh, and I have um, a slightly different show to yours, Andrew. I have like a therapy session with very famous sports people, uh, famous uh, soccer players, rugby players, cricket players, um, all people who've gone through some sort of psychological uh, difficulty at some stage in their lives. And um, it's a recorded show, and I keep it as close as I can to a therapy session and then try and work with that person to help them understand better what has happened to them. You know, the, the goal of psychotherapy is to help people understand themselves better when they've hit some sort of block or some sort of difficulty in their lives. And we all get there. You know, the, the, the soccer club where I work, the head of the um, academy calls it the five lightning strikes that we all have every year. And the lightning strikes are things that we just can't see coming. And this uh, COVID-19 
pandemic is a lightning strike. And the question he always asks his young people inside the soccer club is this, how do you respond to that? Because you can't do anything about the lightning strikes. You can't do anything about the fact that these things are going to come. Or to put it in another way, one of my favorite ever sports quotes was from Mike Tyson. And he said, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Well, I, we've all been punched in the mouth. Yes, well, that couldn't be any more <laughs> right on than that. You know, I have a saying I like to, to say to my clients, control the controllables. And exactly. I say is, the same to my, my, my clients, too. Well, you're a smart man. There you go. Um, you know, um, this is a situation we've never been in before, and hopefully, God willing, we'll never be in it again. And so what I'm getting from a lot of my clients now is they're bored, they're getting frustrated, they're getting antsy, mm -hmm. okay? And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned you're doing live, you know, or you're recording, but you're doing a live psychotherapy session or recording, um, because for years I've talked about the importance of mental health and athletes in this country. And for years, people have basically blown me off, said, look, athletes, you know, they're superior. And I said, athletes are people. They have feelings, they have emotions, They've got issues they've got to deal with. And we, we, it, just in the last couple of years here in this country, Gary, it's become accepted more so at the professional level. You know what? Professional athletes are people, and they do have feelings. Started a couple of years ago when Kevin Love, basketball player with the Cleveland Cavaliers, had a panic attack in the game. Didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And I'm sure you've read about that. And so I'm glad that you're doing that. I, I don't think I could get away with doing a psychotherapy session with, with athletes on, on the air here. I'm not sure how well that would be received, although that's a great idea. Although I have had many of the athletes I've worked with come on the show and we have talked about what they're dealing with. So let me ask you this question. The people that you're talking to, are they getting frustrated? Are they getting antsy? You know, they want to get back out there and, and train and compete, but they can't. So what are you suggesting to them? How are you helping them get through this? Well, I'm sure you, you find the same, Andrew. I'm just going to j jump sideways slightly before I answer your question. Remember, you, you make a great point and, you know, talk about let's, let's peel off the top of this can of worms about, um, about athletes being human beings as well, because that, to me, has created an opportunity to work psychotherapeutically and, and, and at a deeper and deeper level with, with people. As human beings, we all have different responses. So it's impossible to answer the question, how do athletes respond to this? Because, because they're human beings, they will have different personalities, they'll have had different experiences, they'll be in different situations. So let me give you a for instance. One of the soccer players I'm working with, really happy, spending loads of time with his wife and kids in a way that he's not been able to do before. The kids are loving it, having their dad at home. Remember, all the schools here are closed, I'm sure, the same in, in, in where you are. Yes. So they get their dad, they get their mum, they get all this attention, they get to do whatever they want. And he's saying, you know what, Gary, it's some of the best and most memorable times I've ever spent with my family, especially in the middle of the soccer season when most of that time would be taken away, traveling to away games, training, being injured, all those usual things. I'm also dealing with a Spanish player who's living away from his family here in, in the UK. He plays for a UK team, uh, and he's away from his family. Now, I'm sure you, you're aware there's some terrible stories going on about what's happening in Spain at the moment. He's terribly concerned about his mum and dad. He doesn't have a partner here in the UK. He's left being on his own, very isolated, a very different story. So I think it's worth remembering that when we think of just about everybody who's listening to this show, if you're a sports person, a non-sports person, just a fan or whatever it is, we all have different situations and dealing with this differently. And to throw another sort of angle at it, 
you know, if you've got a large back garden and you live in a nice middle-class area and you've done well for yourself and you can sit out in your back garden while spring is arriving, it's a very different experience than if you're coming from maybe from a blue-collar worker background where you're in a high-rise block of flats or apartments where it's very, very different. Your experience of what's going on right now might be very different. So all those things impact in our anxiety. You are 100% correct, and you know that's one of the issues in this country here with the spread of this virus is in a lot of the larger cities where everyone's living on top of each other. Of course, New York City now has more of these cases than any country in the world. So, um, sure. you know, of course, I, I was born there, and, and, and I have a son who is fortunately almost a month ago came home and is staying with me with his dog, thank goodness, because I wouldn't want him there in this situation. So you're right, but different perspectives on this. So I'm trying to look at this from this perspective, Gary. It's how can we help people get through this in the best way possible? There's, you know, I, I, I always tell clients, my clients, there are three types of attitudes, positive, negative, and realistic. You know, positive yeah. is I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. You know, negative is you can't. And realistic is, you know, we've got to deal with stuff and it's going to happen, but how can I get through it? So what do you say? So to the, the Spanish soccer player, let me ask you this question who is obviously struggling more so than the, than the other fellow who's with his family. How are you helping him get through that? How can you give him some, some positive things to, to think about, to focus on, to grow from to this, to make him a better person? Well, that's a great question, but I would say that's a, a question directed at a psychologist rather than a psychotherapist, because as a psychotherapist, I'm looking at his human story, his background, his relationship with mum and dad, how he came to the UK in the first place and all that sort of stuff. I have read an awful lot of sports psychology uh, um, literature and all the usual what I would call um, tricks and flicks and all the things that we would call CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy of how to deal with these things. I would roll some of those stuff out. The first thing I would say is every single day have a plan to do just one thing. It doesn't matter what that thing is. It could be big, it could be small, but the temptation we all have as human beings and we don't have to do anything is not to do anything. Exactly. And so that's, first, yeah, yeah, excuse me, we're going to have our break here in a second. We're going to come back from our break and follow up with this. But that's one of the things I tell people, write down at least one goal every day at night before you yeah. go to bed. Have a goal, think about it, and something you know you can do, not some unrealistic yeah. thing. Something you know you can do and keep a journal. Keep a journal of this because when we come out of this, that journal is going to help you grow as a person. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me live from Oxford, England is Gary Bloom. He's a clinical sports psychotherapist having a fascinating conversation. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports 
If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811 brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. If you suffer from COPD symptoms like shortness of breath and fatigue, where do you turn? There are medications and oxygen, but do you know about pulmonary rehab? Three out of five COPD patients have never heard of it. Pulmonary rehab is an exercise, education, and support program that gives you tools to manage your condition, and Medicare typically pays for it. So whether it's grocery shopping on your own or just walking across the room, pulmonary rehab can help you. Visit livebetter.org to find out about your options for pulmonary rehab today. Here's farmer and landowner John Prue. We purchased the land about three years ago, and there was an old farmstead on there with trees. We were going to clear the land so we could farm through it. We thought we knew where the pipe was, so we didn't call to get it located. The work on our property led to the damage of a light crude pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Joining me live from Oxford, England is Gary Bloom. He's a clinical sports psychotherapist. We're having a fascinating conversation. So, Gary, you know, we were talking about, you know, setting goals, keeping a journal now, which which I think would be a great thing for a lot of people to do because for the 39 years I've worked with athletes, I've always encouraged them to keep journals, a daily journal. And 
right in it. How was my day? What did I learn? What's my goal for tomorrow? And a lot of the athletes I've worked with over the years have kept them four years. In fact, one athlete, a, a Major League Baseball player I worked for 20 years, I went to visit him a few years ago, and we're at his house. He says, Doc, open up that, that uh, door over there. I want to show you something. And he opened the door, and in there were his 20 years of the journals all lined up. And uh, he, he told me how much that helped him. How do you feel about that? Okay. Um, quite an interesting topic. I think many people were saying, yeah, I, I'm not the kind of guy or woman who writes things down. Um, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. I'm exactly. Trying, I'd, like to I'd like to explain why this is important. Um, and this is a little bit about brain, um, brain chemistry here. But there are two areas of the brain that are essentially fighting for our minds the whole time. Uh, one is called the limbic part of our brain, which is the emotional center of the brain, which doesn't have language. So I think it's always great. You know, when you get you know, at the end of it, like the Super Bowl and somebody runs onto the pitch and shoves a mic into somebody's nose and say, how do you feel? And the athlete just says, I don't know. I can't experience it. I don't know what I'm, you know, it's just, it's, it, words can't describe it. That's because he's trying to describe an emotion with language and language and emotion in that part of the brain don't exist. There is another part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, which is right between your eyes, which is the language center. That's the computer, the bit that gets language, it gets mathematics, it gets logic, it's the computer, the bit that really fires up when we start thinking about stuff. And when we get anxious, when we get nervous, the, the computer bit of our brain, the language bit of our brain gets switched off. And we do what we call thinking about thinking. And we go around in circles the whole time, like a hamster on a hamster wheel. We're thinking about the same things over and over again. We obsess about things. Can I get some more toilet roll from the supermarket? When is this going to be finished? Is my kids going to be well? Are my mum and dad safe? This is thinking about thinking. Now, the language bit of our brain gets plugged in when we write, when we talk, when we use that, those language skills, it fires up, almost like an app. This app goes online, and that's why the writing down of these feelings, emotions, brings online to our brain a vital bit of our brain, which begins to in, um, mix in logic with what you're thinking. So you might be thinking, this damn coronavirus thing, you know what, it's never going to end. Well, the logic bit of your brain says, hang on. Let's just think about this for a second. The government can't pay the equivalent in U.S. of $5 billion a day keeping everybody off work, 3 million quid in the U.K. That just doesn't make sense. I know, and you know, our governments can't afford to do this forever. So it has to end one day. And when it does end, sport will be back. So there's a good example of how logic, bringing the logic into our irrational fears, when we do that by using language, it brings online that part of our brain. I always talk about rationalizing the irrational. Yeah. And that's essentially what you're saying there. And you're right. And so I think, for me, writing things down gets them out of your head. Writing things down yeah, puts things in front of you so you see it. And so if you have it, so, so let's, take, let's, take this, let's take a soccer player you're working with. Let's just let's use one maybe, you know, and say you've got a soccer player right now who's frustrated because... Not the guy who's happy he's with his family, but one of these guys is maybe a little frustrated. He was having a great start to the season, and then poof. Like here, we have Sporting Kansas City. 
started the season off great. They had a terrible year last year, and this year starting off great, and poof, this happens. So at some point they will come back, and when they do come back, a lot of this is going to, in my opinion, is going to be about how they've handled themselves throughout this, this timeout. What are, they, what are they doing to stay in shape physically, but more importantly, mentally? What are the things they're doing? And that's where the self-introspection to me, Gary, comes in. What am I doing personally to help me become stronger and better? So when I come back, and, and I work with several professional athletes, and I'm telling them, listen, how are your teammates doing? And several of them are saying, you know, Doc, about a third or a quarter of my teammates, they're saying, screw it, you know, I'm, not, I'm tired of this, I'm just going to, you know, I'm not training that much. I'm just, I'll just wait. But the guys I'm talking to, well, what are you doing? He goes, I'm not doing that. I'm busting my butt. I'm doing everything I can to train. I've got daily goals. I'm focusing on the things I need to do to get better because I know when I come back, I'll be in an advantage. What comes up for me, what's landing in my brain as you're talking, Andrew, is, is this. The social cohesion of that team is there on a daily basis when, things are, when, the, when the regular season is going on. The social cohesion, the relationships that we all build. Exactly. The best thing I would say to everybody who's in a sports team who's now on, on lockdown is to keep those social connections going. Ring your teammates up, check in with them, drop them a WhatsApp message, because that social cohesion, will, very soon after training resumes and the regular season resumes, is going to have to play out in in, in competitive matches. And that's exa- excuse me, that- that's that's exactly why I said. We may be in the age of social distancing, but we're not in the age of social isolation. No, but very, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing here, we talked about the limbic part of our brain, the, you know, the emotional, irrational part of our brain that's thinking about thinking. For some reason, and you, you can probably answer this better than I can, is when we get into that cycle, we tend to self-isolate. And you know people who suffer from depression and anxiety have what we call duvet days. They can't get out of bed. They put the duvet over their heads and they isolate and don't want to talk to anybody because they're feeling down. The trick is to do the opposite, to reach out to members of your family, reach out to your friends, reach out to your teammates. You know, I'm on a WhatsApp group and we're firing silly videos and daft videos about us doing all sorts of TikTok dancing or whatever to keep us connected. That's the role of these videos. So I'd say to a board player, just take a video of yourself or just record a message to your teammates and remind them and remind yourself you are part of a group. You just hit that cohesion ultimately will be the success or failure of the group. You just hit on something that's very important. Humor. Humor. Yeah. Okay. We, and, and that's one thing I wanted to hit on today. We have to laugh. You know, I, I, I was watching something last night on uh, YouTube, uh, and Jason Alexander, who's famous from Seinfeld, hosted a thing called oh, yeah. the, uh, what did he call it, the something Seder. He's Jewish, and he, he's doing a Passover Seder, and it was hilarious. I was laughing so hard watching that, and I realized last night, God, it's great to laugh again. You know, a lot well, of us not, are missing laughter right now, aren't we? Exactly, and remember... The, one of the most important things I say to everybody, this will pass. We can easily get into a mindset of this is going to go on for ages and I'm never going to see my kids and my parents again. This will pass. And, you know, we, you know, we have, um, when things are really bad, we have what's known as gallows humor. We laugh at the ridiculousness. I mean, you know, I'm sure in years to come there'll be a great blockbuster Hollywood movie 
about all this and the ridiculousness of people fighting in the in the supermarket aisles over over toilet roll will seem ridiculous as it seems ridiculous to all of us today humor has to be a part of it we have to remember that we will get through this we will get through this together and the word i'd like to stress in that 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 sentence is together exactly together so you've been emphasizing that throughout our interview this morning and i think that's so important is that as i said we may have to distance ourselves from people but but we're blessed with you know technology today which is helping us so much to get through this and i'm i'm seeing people posting lots of very funny things online and as as sad and as terrible as this is we're seeing a lot of humor out there which i think is helping people get through this i'm sports psychologist dr andrew jacobs joining me from oxford england this morning is gary bloom he's a clinical sports psychotherapist having a great interview talking about dealing with the situation right now and if you're an athlete in in our last segment we come back gary i want to talk about what are some of the psychological things people can do mentally with their training to get themselves ready to stay sharp so when they do come back they'll be ahead of the curve because let's face it i think as i said earlier you can have two athletes are physically the same the one with a stronger mind will be the one who'll come out on top and i and i firmly believe this is a great opportunity for a lot of athletes to learn about themselves, to look at themselves, and, and, and in terms of what you're sharing with us, you're agreeing the same way. So I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist, With 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive, realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priorities to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. Here's farmer and businessman James Wood. We farm about 3,500 acres. There's pipelines everywhere. The contractor working on my property did not have the lines located before he began work, and it resulted on a strike on a natural gas pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety campaign. All across the country, people are coming together to speed up what we can learn about health. The All of Us Research Program is calling on one million people to join us as we try to change the future of health. For your family, for future generations, for all of us. Visit joinallofus.org and find out how you can become one in a million.
Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Good morning, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB. We're having a great interview with Gary Bloom. He's a clinical sports psychotherapist. He's live from Oxford, England, joining us. And, uh, Gary, we've got a caller. Let's go to the phones. Let's see what James has to say. He's got a question for us. James, good morning. How are you? I'm fine. How are you this morning? Great. Thank you for calling in. I would just like to comment briefly on you and your guest's idea about having a specific goal, a reachable goal, you know, for one day. What I'm finding is survival mode can be quite disconcerting, you know, um, and it can be a very vague thing. And uh, when you're trying to define for yourself needs versus wants, um, you know, uh, what's really important versus things that are just temporary or silly entertainment in your life, um, I think it's important to key in on that. And you talked about people kind of becoming more introspective and everything. And um, what would you say towards when you're in survival mode, it's hard to, you know, come up with concrete things, you know, you just, I don't know, it can be disconcerting. Very much so. Gary, why don't you comment on that first? Yeah, really good question. Um, I'm interested in the word survival mode, uh, and I, I don't know what, quite what that means, but we're not in a, although we're in a very difficult situation, we're not in a situation where we can't feed ourselves, or um, at the moment there are many uh, services and uh, um, many ways that we can we can look after ourselves. I think when I said to 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 create a daily schedule or just try something that you want to do or have a little um, task that you write down, that could be as simple as ringing your mum or your dad or your kids. It's something to just t- tick off and say, yeah, you know what, I did that. But I really, if, if I was working with you, my friend, as a, as a client, I really would like to drill down on the whole survival mode thing because although this is terrible. I can think of many situations around the world historically where things have been a lot, lot tough. You know, the government are asking us to just sit on your settee and don't go out. Um, Now, if you're struggling for food or you're struggling for medicines, uh, I don't know what it's like in Kansas, but certainly here there are plenty of organizations who can scoop up and help us to get the things that we need through uh, the social services program that we have here. But I think it's not helpful psychologically to think ourselves in survivor mode. We will survive this. Right. Nearly, I know there are people who's, who have loved ones who are really struggling at the moment. But as humanity, we will go past this. Let me let me ju- let me let me ask let me ask Gary here. So James, when you talk about survival mode, yeah. is it just the fear of, of getting sick and, and being hospitalized, maybe dying? Is that part of what that's about? Well, it's difficult. Yesterday, I could think of three things that I could have used, you know, at Dollar General store, but I'm not out of yet. It's hard to in your mind you say, 
you know, if I'm going to get something from Dollar General that I don't really need, you're, you're risking your health just to go out. So you try and limit even going out. You know, that's what the stay-at-home order is, you know, for essential things, you know. Um, that's what I meant by survival mode, not necessarily specifically life or death, but deciding I could be at risk just going through the door of a Dollar General store, you know. Uh, okay. So does that make sense, Gary? Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. And actually, it was quite interesting to hear there. There are lovely, some lovely things at the dollar store that you would like, right. but actually, do you need them? And that was the bit I heard in that little, yeah. that little clip there. What is it you actually need right now? Exactly. And I would argue that the thing that you, you need most of all, maybe more than the thing that you could easily go to the dollar store for but don't have to, you need yeah. a connection with somebody who, who, who loves you. And, and that, you know what? And you just hit the word. I, what, what I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking, you know what we all need right now, James? A little exactly. bit of love. A little ah, bit of love. Exactly. And I think if you can get that from somebody emotionally, that's going to help you get through this. Listen, sir, take care of yourself. Thank you for calling in. I appreciate the call and your questions. Great comment, and you stay safe. Okay, thanks, Doc. Okay, take care. You know, Gary, that, that, was, that was an excellent call. And one of the things I wanted to get at here is, and as we wrap up everything today, I, I for years, have worked with clients on, on visualization. And I learned about it in grad school in the mid-'70s and not realizing what it was. And... I always talk about, quote, my great uncle told me years ago, my great uncle Hurst Jacobs, when he died in 1970, was the winningest trainer in horse racing. He'd won 3,596 races. And between seventh and eighth grade, I spent a week with him and my aunt in New York. And took me to the racetrack every morning at 5 in the morning, 4.35 in the morning. And he told me this quote that his son, my cousin Tommy, repeated for me years ago. Sports is the greatest theater in the world. Everyone knows their part, but no one knows what will happen. Right now, I sort of take that and say, life is the greatest theater in the world. Everyone knows their part, and no one knows what will happen. So what can you do to be prepared? If you're an athlete, when you're ready to come back, and we, as we've, we've both said, we're all going to come back, and we can be better when we come back. How can mentally you visualize yourself to get prepared to come back? Visualization, to me, is, is taking the time to see yourself in situations, positive or negative, and have a game plan for them. What do you think about that? What a wide question that is. I'm going to just pick up a, a little bit of flavors. Look at the Chiefs' form at the moment. I think they've won the last six games. Is that correct? Uh, they've got to come back. And they won, I think it was seven or eight. I, you know what? They're Super Bowl champions. That's all I'm going to tell you. But anyway, go ahead with exactly. that. Exactly. They've, they've got to refine that form. They've got to find that winning formula. Because when they go back into, into, um, into training, when they go back into regular season, they've got to refine that. That's not going to be easy. So if you are a fan of the Chiefs and you are part of that club, that's an interesting battle in itself because if you keep winning games, the momentum in itself is, is very important. And you have to, if you've had a break of four, five, six, seven, eight weeks, that's going to be really hard. And that reconnection is about relationships for me. Visualization is much more of a psychology issue for me, but one of the things I've been talking to my players about is being slightly, just begin to, if you are very, very anxious, Think about a little bit of meditation. We don't have to be experts in meditation. We can just close our eyes, do some breathing exercises, and in our mind's eye, this is sports meditation, by the way, in our mind's eye, think about a great play. Think about a great touchdown. Think about that time, that, that, that a piece of action that just lifted you out your seat when you were watching. And hopefully a little smile will come back onto your face. And remember, that will come back again. 
just take a deep breath. If there is, uh, if there is tension, if there are arguments inside your house, just go to another room. Just say, I'm going to take a time out for five minutes. We don't have to win every single row that's going on under our roofs. Take some time out. I love the, you know, the time out thing is a very much a, a U.S. thing that you've given to us here in the U.K. Timeouts are great. We don't have to keep going and going and going. And you know what? This whole coronavirus lockdown is one of the greatest ever timeouts we will ever have in our lifetimes. Oh, you could not have said that any better. And, and, and here's the thing. You know, I have a philosophy. I've mentioned several things on the show. I, I like to look out the front windshield, not the rearview mirror. What's ahead of us? Where are we going? And how can we take this as a growth experience and learning experience as, as awful? And to put it bluntly, as much as this sucks to be stuck at home all the time, how can you learn and grow? And I think you've been mentioning a lot of things that, throughout the show that can help us with that. And to me, that's what, what this is about right now. It's, it's, it's a situation that none of us ex- wanted or expected to happen, but it's happened. And so how do we move on and get by? And that's where I think looking at ourselves at, you know, we talked about daily goals. We talked about simple things, communicating, sharing, talking. We're social animals, as you shared. Make sure you take the time to communicate with people every day. Talk to people. Express yourself. Make sure you talk about your frustrations and, your, and, and the things you're feeling good about. All right, Gary, we've got about a minute left here. I want you to share how people can get a hold of you. This has been a tremendous interview. I'm gonna ha- I'd am gonna. i love to have you back on again. How can people reach you over in England? Great. Um, you can go on to the website, which I think is called sportspsychology.co.uk or .com. Uh, I have a radio show called On the Sporting Couch, uh, which is on Talk Sport and is also online. You can uh, access that through a platform called ACAST. Uh, or just Google me um, on something called the Counseling Directory. I'd be delighted to hear from anybody in the U.S. If you're having a tough time, reach out. And a final, final, final thought. Think of a hippopotamus. Hippopotamus take a lot of their day just wallowing. Just wallow at the present time. You don't have to do anything. Just be. That, that was something I would not have suggested, but I love that. That's great. I think of hippopotamus. All right, listen, Gary, hold on, because I want to talk to you when we finish the show, so to don't hang up. I'll, we'll, uh, I'll connect with you here in a minute. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This has been a tremendous show today. Joining me is Gary Bloom, clinical psychotherapist, sports psychotherapist from Oxford, England. You know, our shows are podcasted here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. They're also on my website at winnersunlimited.com. You can send me an email at drj at winnersunlimited.com. Follow me on Twitter at, at DRJ Sports Psych, at DRJ SPRT, PSYCH. My phone number at my office is 816-561-5556. You know, I am working with people. I do phone sessions, FaceTime sessions. If you're interested in talking with me, get a hold of me. I'd love to hear from you. Listen, stay safe, stay smart. Tell somebody you love them today. Give somebody a hug in your house if you can. And remember, we're going to get through this. You've been listening to the Sports Psychology Hour. For more information, go to winnersunlimited.com. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. 
That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section. When Dad injured his back... When your basketball star tore his ACL, opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country, and tragically, More than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets. Anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you, too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. <laughs> 